if you own real estate, you should always do a cost segregation study because you can use it in this instance that you just discussed. And and you may have a really high cash flowing property like your, your short-term rentals in Colorado. Those, those will exceed uh, the normal cash flow on, on a piece of property. And so if you have a high, high cash flowing property, I mean, it certainly makes sense to do that. Welcome to the Rent to Retirement Podcast, your resource for passive real estate investing and retirement strategies. If you're new to real estate or planning your financial future, you're in the right place. Join us at renttoretirement.com to find your path to financial freedom and an easy, carefree retirement. Enjoy the show. Hey, Rent to Retires, it's Adam Schrader here with another episode, joined as usual by the founder and CEO of Rent to Retirement, Zach Lee Master. And today we are going to talk about taxes. We're going to talk about cost segregation. We're going to talk about all the things that uh, you don't think about whenever you first start investing in real estate. And that is uh, with uh, Mr. Steve Trussell. Steve, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I know we've done other um, episodes with you talking about cost segs before. Uh, people have heard Zach talk about cost segs because he loves them. Uh, he lives and breathes by them. But tell us a little bit, just in general, remind people what a cost segregation study actually is. Okay. It's basically it's segregating the asset. And what that means is to typically a residential is 27 and a half year depreciation cycle and commercial is 39 years. So obviously all of those parts and pieces of the real estate don't or last less than 39 or 27 and a half years. So you have the building or the as one of the components, which is your longer life. But a lot of the, the components inside the, the property, like carpeting, lighting, uh, things that expire in shorter periods of time or don't last as long, we can bring 20 to 30% of that forward into a cost segregation study. Our engineers break down the building, rebuild it basically, and segregate the five and 15-year property. 15-year property is what's outside your parking lots, your driveways, your landscape, things like that, your sprinkler systems. Five years, what's inside the carpet, you know, the things like that inside the building. So we segregate that 20 to 20 to 30 percent of that comes forward. Uh, and with bonus depreciation, which came about, it was July of 2017, you uh, up through December 20, December 31, 22, you can bring 100 percent of that forward and use it in the current year, the current tax year. You can do that all the way up until you file your taxes for that year. So if you're in 22, if you're if you've extended your 22, you're still eligible until you file your taxes as long as the report is done prior to filing taxes. And starting in 23, that bonus goes to 80 percent. Next year it goes to 60, then 40, 20, and then it goes away. Uh, that doesn't mean cost segregation is not a, a benefit. You still would want to would want to separate your asset into five and. 15-year categories and have a shorter life for part of the building, part of the property. All right. So we're, we're getting immediately granular and uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to back up a little bit just for, for people that are like, well, I've never heard of cost seg or like what, what did Steve, what the hell did Steve just say? <laughs> so um, uh, let's, let's back up a little bit and don't let me forget. One thing I want to talk about today is people that have properties that they've owned previously that they want to explore accelerated depreciation on that. I think it is super essential to don't Adam, don't let me forget that one, but will not be forgotten. Okay. So uh, let's just start at depreciation. And I'm going to paraphrase for you, Steve, and try to simplify things for the audience. Tell me if I'm incorrect here at all, but depreciation, what is that? Basically depreciation means property is a physical asset. We're actually talking about the improvement on when, when you have real estate, you have land and you have a house. We're talking about the actual improvement house on the land. Um, 
And so basically the improvement is, is a depreciating asset, just like a vehicle, like it wears out over time. Um, even though it goes up in value, um, the government allows us to basically take tax deductions off of that and, and re we'll reduce our, our tax basis or reduce our income on that by taking an expense on the property. Actually, you're required to, per our IRS guidelines, this is not an optional thing, you're required to take depreciation. But basically what you're saying is, if I have a $100,000 house, that's a residential rental, um, it depreciates over 27 and a half years. Who, know, who knows who came up with that number, but there it is. So um, $100,000 house divided by, and we're not sec sectioning out land in this to be complicated. Usually land is a minimal portion, but $100,000 house divided by 27 and a half years, it's like 3.3,000 per year, whatever it is that you can reduce. Say you had $5,000 of income on that property, you reduce your tax basis by three, 3.3,000. So you're basically reducing your income. Um, and then on commercial property, because it's built differently, it has, and it has different components to it. It has things that last longer. So the depreciation is 39 years. Did I do a good summary with that? Anything you want to yes. add to depreciation? No, that, that's that's correct. You take the land out. Land is usually fifteen percent, depending on where it is. If it's in you know La Jolla, California, it's probably twenty five percent. But typically across the United States, fifteen percent land is typically what what we would use. Yeah, you take the balance of it, which is attributed to the building or the structure, and then you depreciate over the life, residential or commercial. Yep. Sometimes, and then sometimes in the in the Midwest, you can have land that's even significantly cheaper, less than yes. you know five percent sometimes. So. Uh, you get more depreciation in that case, which a lot of people don't think about, but um, that's another benefit of Midwest. So, um, okay, so that's that's depreciation and something you're required to take, uh, you know, on an annual basis. And that's why, that's what allows us, one of these big things allows us to have tax-free income because we have a positively cash flowing property that's appreciating over time, but it's being, in the eyes of the IRS, it's being looked at as a depreciation, depreciating asset. And you can recycle depreciation. We'll talk about that as, as well. Um, on properties, you can use it multiple times. But let's uh, let's. So the cost seg study, what that basically is, is it says you are having an actual study done of evaluating. I know when when um, you're doing them for my properties, this is an actual engineer that's giving a detailed report of all the things in the house or the the building that are not going to last 27 and a half years or in commercial 39 years. I mean, pretty much everything inside the walls, right, is not going to last. Right. And so basically what you're doing is you're taking a portion of that, call it 30%, and you're taking accelerated depreciation. And so the, the cost segregation study, it's a report that is a breakdown of all those items um, that you are accelerating in the de in, in depreciating. You're not, it's not obviously going to last 39 years. You could not do this and have those go over 39 years, or you can be a creative investor to accelerate those. And what, what is called bonus depreciation is taking all of that um, say you get a list of 30% of the items that are not going to last 39 years and taking that all in, in year one. So you take a 30% deduction in your, your you take 30% of your depreciation in year one. The rest of the 70% of depreciation you would take over the normal 39 years. However, the reason you would do that, like why would someone do this is because it allows them to decrease their tax basis this year and take depreciation this year. And so what you can do if you're a real estate pro is like offset your income from all these different sources. It doesn't matter what the source is, but you're using that depreciation to offset your taxable liability um, to reduce your taxable income this year. Like for instance, we're doing this personally because we're buying enough. Well, we're doing our strategies to buy enough real estate to offset our active income from all sources. So we create a loss every single year that 
carries forward. So if you don't use this in year one, it carries forward um, year after year. But the reason we do that is so we don't pay you know the, the money in taxes that we would otherwise to then go out and reinvest and earn income on that. So that's kind of the idea behind doing an accelerated depreciation. Is is that correct, Steve, or anything else you want to add to that? Well, that's correct. Well, the, one thing to add to it, if you can't use it all day, you can carry forward until you can use it. So uh, t- typically uh, w- with your cash flow, if you're in a really good cash flowing market, you, sometimes your 39 or your 27 and a half years is not enough to offset your income. So you have a gain. So with cost segregation, you should most always will offset your income from the from the asset from that property. And then if you're a real estate pro, like you mentioned, you can use your W-2 or your other income if you qualify for that to, to, to offset that income as well. And just one other note about depreciation to understand depreciation is recapturable. Okay. So when you sell the property, you pay back. Again, you are required by the IRS to take it. In fact, like they, if you don't take it, they factor your taxes in as if you did take it and penalize you. Right. So, um, I mean, you, you, you should be taking it and you have to take it. Um, but you pay, it's you pay it back one way or another. Right. And so that's an important thing of having the right CPA on your team. Right. But uh, so you, when you sell the asset, you have to pay it back. The alternative would be to you can carry it forward and 1031 exchange it like kind of the, the big picture goal here of people that are building exceptional wealth into real estate is they're doing exactly this uh, is they're taking they're buying all these assets. They're doing accelerated depreciation and then they are uh, holding those assets for a long period of time. And when they do sell them. They are 1031 exchanging and paying it forward, like moving it forward. Because eventually you can basically in perpetuity forever uh, pass forward depreciation, right? Is that kind of the idea? It is. But now in 1031, 1031, you are going to reduce your basis in the new asset by by some of the recapture that you pick up in the old asset. But it's still a worthwhile way to, to, to transfer the asset to a new asset through 1031 exchange for sure. So we won't get super detailed on that, but I think that's just one thing to kind of clarify um, on on the depreciation. So Adam, I, I keep jumping off here, and I, obviously this is my my topic here. So so I don't want people to just pass this episode over because they heard the word real estate professional and they aren't real estate professionals. Because if we're being honest, most investors are not real estate professionals. When people think of cost segregation, they think about real estate professionals. But as we were discussing before we got started. You do not have to be a real estate professional to take cost segregation studies in your properties, correct? And if so, if not, when does it make sense for people to do it? Well, to me, it always does. It always makes sense because you're you're going you have cash flow from your your uh, uh, your asset, and if it's exceeding your depreciation, you're going to be paying tax on that. And one of the benefits of real estate investing is the tax benefit from through depreciation. You don't pay if you do a property, you don't pay income on your income tax on your gains. So it's always good to have it. I mean, you can also take it against your capital gains of your passive losses as well if you sell outside of the ten thirty one. So. Uh, if you have multiple properties. So it, it always makes sense. I mean, you, you'll always get your depreciation over the 27 and a half or 39 year life. But if you got a five and 15 year uh, asset as part of that, as part of the asset, you should be taking advantage of that. 
Well, what we do in, in all situations, we, we do an estimate of benefit to tell you what your property would look like. And it's usually a conservative estimate because I don't want to give you a large number and then come back with a smaller to do just the opposite of that. So but that allows you to take a look at that, take a look at the cost of the study, get with your CPA and see if it makes sense for you to do that. Nine times out of ten, it, it does. Sometimes it may not. It depends on your personal situation. But the estimate gives you a guideline along with the cost, the price of the study to decide if it makes sense for you. Do you charge people to do estimates? No, no, not at all. Okay. I, I, I'll turn those around in a few days. And it's just that it's an estimate. I have to ask you because you've always given me estimates, but I've also always paid for them. So yeah. I, for, I don't know well, what you, you do. You actually pay for the study. Now, the estimates, you know, once you look at it, once someone looks at the estimate, they look at the cost and if they like what they see and there's a benefit to them, then we engage in the study and then that's when they, they, they pay. Steve, what is um, He knows you're going to just go ahead and do it. So you don't even bother with the estimate part. It's just, yeah, we're going to do it. Yeah, that, that is true. Um, and, and I'll share a little bit about what, what I'm doing. I don't want to be too personal, give away all financial information. Uh, my wife wouldn't like that. But I mean, I, I do want to be somewhat of an open book on on what we're personally doing, uh, which is, has been, I mean, quite a lot. Would you agree, Steve? Like we've been pretty aggressive. You have. Yes. Um, so, I mean, we're, we're creating millions of dollars of losses every single year. Just last doing, year, you did, yeah, for sure. But last year was a, a on those four properties was was a gigantic loss for you. So and so we're carrying that forward. So probably our income for the next two or three years is probably already set offset by properties we bought in the past, and we will continue to buy this year too. Because another thing to be conscious of is like this is a time sensitive thing. You can still do cost segregations and and um, do things with depreciation, but what we talked about with the bonus depreciation, like last year in twenty twenty two, was last year we could do a hundred percent. So just number wise, if you have a hundred thousand dollar property, you get thirty percent. I think on most of your estimates, Steve, you come in between twenty-two to twenty-eight percent on your estimate. But right. on all of our studies, I think our average study were between thirty-five to we've had some over forty percent. Um, Last year we did for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So what we're doing, so basically if you take that study, you can take a hundred percent of that forty percent off of, you know, as an accelerated depreciation in year one. But now this year, 2023 is 80%. Next year goes to 60%. So this is a time sensitive thing. Like if you're going to do this, you should think about doing it rather soon or this year, um, because now this year you can take 80% of whatever your study comes back at 40%. So you can take 80% of the 40% of the $100,000 property without getting too complicated, but it's still attractive to do. It still makes sense to do. And it's not like you're losing any depreciation, right? If you're taking... Um, a percentage of it, you're, the, whatever you don't take, you're accelerated. You're still getting normal depreciation like you would anyways. Correct. But here's a couple of things. Just we've talked about this in detail on other videos that we can link to, but just understand one is that sometimes short-term rentals, there's what we call the short-term rental loophole where you don't necessarily have to be an act. You don't have to be a real estate pro, but if you're actively managing that property and involved in it, you potentially, you, you should be able to take accelerated depreciation on those assets and also do Cal study. And the second thing to understand too, um, which the first time I heard about this is like, what this, this is like, how do we not know more about this? Cause this applies to a lot of people. I don't quote me on the numbers here, Adam, maybe you remember more than I do, but if you earn, I think it's $150,000 or under, and I believe that could be joint jointly. Um, you can take, you do not have to be a real estate professional and you can take accelerated depreciation. You can take against your active, up, I think it's up to $25,000 of active losses. If either of you guys know more details on that, like please state that. But basically that means if you have one rental property 
and you make $150,000 or, or less, you can take a depreciation year one of, I think, up to $25,000 without having to do like, without having to be a real estate, this large real estate professional. That's that alone is a huge benefit if you if you fall in that category do you guys fall, can you yeah, us? we talked about that i believe with amanda han if they want to yeah. go back and uh, a few times yeah yeah so yeah, we'll link to that but i don't know steve do you have any other we don't, I don't want to spend a lot of time on that but it's just something to be aware of if you're hundred fifty thousand dollars or under like you should be taking probably in my opinion i'm not a cpa or attorney but you should be taking additional depreciation um if you're paying taxes Right. Yeah. In my opinion, as I said, if you own real estate, you should always do a cost segregation study because you can use it in this instance that you just discussed. And and you may have a really high cash flowing property like your your short term rentals in Colorado. Those, those will exceed uh, the normal cash flow on, on a piece of property. And so if you have a high high cash flowing property, I mean, it certainly makes sense to do that to zero your or maybe not zero, but at least wipe out a lot of the income. So to simplify Adam's question, when does it make sense to do it? Pretty much, if you have if you have any taxable income, right? If you have cash flow on the property that um, exceeds your expenses in your write-offs, if you have capital gains, like if you if you have taxable um, liability on the property, you can offset that. I mean, regardless of real estate pro, I mean, you're, this is now we're just talking about the property, so it doesn't matter. You can still accelerate depreciation on on that yes. if you have taxable income on it. Okay. Yes. Correct. Now, Steve, when it comes to these, let's say, you know, that $100,000 house, let's say I want $15,000 this year, but I don't want to celebrate, accelerate everything. Is this something you can take piecemeal or does it have to be, you know, all in one go, you know, oh, 30% was depreciable. So we have to accelerate this now. Or can it be like, you know what, I just need 15 grand and write off and I'll take the rest over the next 26 and a half. Well, the study is the study and it's going to it's going to break down the asset and create the, the accelerated depreciation regardless. So you can't do a partial study, you do the whole study, but then you take the 15 this year and you carry forward the balance of it to the, to the future years. Yeah, it would make sense, I think, um, in my mind to just do it. Like, why would you not? Because then it's going to carry forward year after year. Like, you're still taking it. It's just yeah, a matter I'm, of I'm when. mostly just thinking, like, if I'm buying something and I think I'm going to hold this two to three years and I don't want to have to recapture all of it in the 1031 exchange, but if I could just get, you know, 15% of this for the next two years to offset my taxes, that'd be great. I didn't know if, if that was a possibility or not. It's not because the study is a study, but I will say if you're going to sell in the next, say, or the year, two years, probably wouldn't recommend, I don't want to turn, turn away any business, but I probably wouldn't recommend you. That was going to be my question. Money. When does this not make sense? We talked about when it does. Three, three years or more, you know, three years is kind of borderline as well. So if it, 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 that's part of what the, the estimate's about. You take a look at that. And then what are your plans for your property? If you're going to hold it for a while, which I, I hold mine, that, then I think it makes sense to do it. But if you're going, you know, want to, we're going to turn it in a year or two uh, to into something else. I would wait until you finally get something that you're going to hold for a while. So if you don't have income, and you may not know this until after the fact, right? But or until you're starting to prep your your tax structure. So if you don't have taxable liability on the property, if you already have a significant loss, um, or if you're going to flip it and not hold it for for a period of time, which most of our investors are buy and hold investors. We, we know that that's how you build wealth in real estate over time is you hold real estate and you do exactly what we're talking about today. Um, right. This you, that's, that's kind of like the long-term key to like without overcomplicating it, 
the maximizing the tax efficiencies and holding real estate over time is that that's the recipe for success. But those would be the two scenarios. Okay. So if you don't have taxable income on it or you're flipping it, maybe this doesn't make sense. What does it cost like study cost, Steve? What does that typically cost on, on different res- assets? Uh, on a residential, it, uh, it's pretty simple. Anything under $500,000 is $1,500. Uh, if it's on a residential under half million dollars, when you get into the four or five million dollar, two million dollar, th- those are all based on each individual, but they're going to run from, you know, I hate to throw a number out here because I need to look at the property first, what type it is and so forth, but they're going to be in the thousands, not not tens, tens of thousands, but it depends. If it's a five or ten million dollar property, it might be twelve thousand dollars. And that's just a kind of a number out of the air. I don't have anything in front of me to, to uh, uh quote that. So I hate to throw the numbers out there and people have expectations that aren't realistic. Uh, uh, that's why we do the estimate. We do the that's estimate. what you charge, right? And you give you provide that in the estimate. The, the, yes. These are generally, so under $500,000 flat $1,500 yes. cost. Um, and this is, uh, I think this is important to, I mean, the, you you or who I, use, I personally use for, mm-hmm. for my studies, as, as you know, and have for years. But um, I've, I've heard of many cost segregation companies out there that, that will charge people, you know, three to five thousand dollars for just a single family house. Now that that is a tax write off to the, the study itself. Um, but still that that seems a little bit overkill. So <laughs> I think that's much more reasonable is it, it wouldn't make sense that there's there at a half million dollars and under to pay that kind of money for a study. I mean, I would never do that. It doesn't make any sense to do that. I mean, I, I, that's why we try to price these as reasonable as we can so you can do the residential, the smaller residential. And, and if someone's got a house that even you know, sixty or seventy thousand. You know, there are a few of those still out there, not very many. But if, if there are, it may or may not make sense. Again, that's why we do the estimate to take a look at what, what kind of benefit are we going to get. How can you use it and take a look? What's my cost and what's my benefit? Does it make sense? And then you and your CPA can make that decision based on your personal plans, what you plan to do, hold it or sell it or, or whatever you want to do with it. So if you another thing, another thing to, to to discuss, you what you're talking about. I just want to get into it for a minute. If if you've got that window between July of 2017 and December 31st of 2022. So we're in the 80% now because we're in 2023, but it, it, it's based on the date in service. So if you bought it in 2018 and haven't done a cost seg study, you, you can still do that. It's based on when you put it in place in the service, not when we did the study. So people that have properties they've owned for a few years, they should take advantage of the hundred percent because that doesn't go away for them. It's still there. Because they bought prior, they bought between that window of July of 2017 and December 31st of 2022. They still get the 100 percent bonus. Can we talk about that a little bit more in, in detail? Sure. Can you run through an example though? Because so basically, what you're saying is that if someone they bought a property, and, and the reason it's 2017 is because this is in part of the um, 2017 tax tax act that was put into play, but. Um, Okay, so someone bought a property in later part of 2017 or 2018 or 2019, whatever the case is, and they've just been taking normal depreciation on it. They haven't taken accelerated depreciation. Maybe, you know, this is the first year that they're really wanting to be aggressive and try to qualify for RE Pro and and offset some of their active income because they previously didn't qualify. I mean, what does that what does that look like? Does that mean so I bought a property in 2019? Does that mean I have to go back and amend 2019 taxes? Am I just doing a study this year? Yeah, like how does that work? Can you can you clarify well, more? Without jumping in the weeds of it being the accountant, basically there's a form called 3115, which is change in accounting methods. You don't have to amend your return because you're going to take it this year 
2022 or 2023, but you're going to get the 100% benefit because it went in service prior to 2023 and after July of 2017. So you don't, you're not amending prior returns. You're just going to take the benefit on this return. And they, it's called a change in accounting methods, which which the CPA should be familiar with. It's a Form 3115. We've done it on on uh, some of your stuff, Zach, that you purchased before we that you before we did the. If you buy it now in 2023 or 2022, and it's not on the depreciation schedule already, then there's nothing to change. But if you've had a property for five or six years, and you've got an active depreciation schedule, we're going to change that depreciation schedule. Your CPA files the 3115 with your taxes to change in accounting methods for that particular property. Make sense? Yeah. So, so and it's still an option. Yeah. Yes. So even though, you know, your five-year schedule is essentially done on those ones that you bought five years ago, you can still bring it forward? Yeah, because you're, those, remember, are on a 27 and a half or 39 year yeah. schedule. So we're going to bring, even without bonus, if you bought it five years ago, that five years is going to catch up to 100% immediately without bonus depreciation. So if you bought something in 2016, for example, or, or early 2017, what is that, six years? All your five-year depreciation is going to be bonused anyway because we're going to catch all of that up from 2016 to now. Interesting. And so just in general, you know, a couple of years from now, assuming it goes back to zero, does your five-year stuff just depreciate 20% every year and your 15 is roughly 6% every year? Um, and that's kind of how it moves forward as opposed to the bonus depreciation? Yeah, you, you'll just reclassify the asset and you'll have, let, let, let's just divide it now. Let's say it's 25%, let's use 12.5% for the 15 and 12.5% for the five. You're going to be, you're going to shorten that to five-year and 15-year life, which gives you more depreciation annually. In that case, now hopefully they renew this and go back and keep it active. But we'll see what happens. That's up to Congress to do that. You know, it's uh, depends on who's there. Has there been any discussion about? It? I mean, I, I mean, I, I know that it's phasing out, but I haven't heard any uh, rumblings about this uh, being you get, you get, you get opinions, but you know, no, I, I wouldn't. Uh, just opinions from everybody that thinks it may. Just like opinions about interest rates or anything else, you know. Um, one well, advantage is also of an older property, if you think about it. If you bought a property in 2018 with all this crazy inflation we've had on real estate, for example, you're, and your and your increase in rents, the cash flow on those properties are probably pretty good today with what you purchased for, what you bought it for, plus the interest rate you're probably paying on it as well. So doing a cost seg on that just offset this gain you're going to have on your cash flow, which should be substantial. Uh, I would think based on those factors. So that falls in the classification of, yeah, if you like, when does it make sense? And if you have positive cash flow, you're paying taxes on, uh, yeah. you know, maybe this is one way to, to combat that. Yeah. Um, but generally speaking, I believe on new construction, you, you do get a more attractive uh, cost segregation study, right? You get more depreciated. Is that, I, I no, feel like no, that's not necessarily, it just depends on the type of building and the structure because it, it, they're all built, you know, kind of the same way. You know, if you go back to something built in the 20s, maybe it's different, but I mean, they're probably built pretty close to the, you know, this, the same way. Uh, so I would think new construction versus existing is probably going to be in the same category, close to it. And if you take a look at yours last year, Zach, those were not new construction and they, the numbers came back really nice on those. I mean, and just 40% yeah. probably. Don't I want anybody to count on forty percent? If we can get there, we will. Uh, but uh, I'd say probably just a, a run of the mill twenty-five to thirty-five is probably a 
maybe an average of 30 is a good number to try to count on. And because I don't want somebody to think of getting 40, we come back at 27%, which is still good. But I, I, I don't want to set unrealistic expectations for folks thinking. Well, run us, run us through a numeric example. Maybe let's do this. I was going to pull up a report. I just found one of the recent reports from this last year, but then I realized it was 74 pages long. <laughs> um, and I thought that maybe that, that just be, obviously I'm not the one reading, like, this is what the engineer, um, right. produced that all I'm in, all I'm paying attention to is like, what is the depreciable amount? And then here you go, CPA, um, the last page. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, that would probably be just, uh, people's eyes would glaze over if we looked at that, but I may, let's, let's use an example. Let's, let's go through a real world example from our inventory sheet. Adam, let's choose one. Uh, let's choose a new construction in Florida. I, I do think new construction, you'd get a little bit better of a, uh, there's just, you know, it's brand construction based on, as you mentioned, the, the, how it's built, but you get like the full depreciable value there. Um, let's, let's choose a property on, on our inventory list, Adam, and go through what we would expect numbers just, just so someone can have something tangible conceptualize, like, would this actually make sense for me? And then we'll even go through and say, okay, how much of an actual, let's say, assume they're taking the active depreciation on it um, as a real estate pro, what are they, like, what does that mean for their tax liability? Okay. All right. So here's here's one we have. It's a new build in Lehigh. It is three hundred and call it three hundred twenty thousand. Rents twenty six fifty. So let's see. So now we go down to oh, our some family. nice interior photos. I think I want to buy one of those, Adam. <laughs> All right. So, so what all do, what all do you need here, Steve? Well, I'm going to look at the the the, the total cost, what 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 it sells for on the. So so if they purchased it for three twenty one nine, we're going to use that. We're going to take fifteen percent for land. Typically, but let me ask real quick: if we know that land is not fifteen percent, like fifteen percent is an assumption if you don't. But if land is less than that, then you do want to take land. Like you do want to take less than that, right? Yeah, we just want to justify it. I've got to say, I'll usually go to the CAD and see what the CAD shows. Uh, if it's new construction, they don't have a ratio between land and value. Uh, but if they do, I take a look at their ratio because in this case, they may have it on the, on the if it's a couple years old, maybe they've got it on the rolls that- This lot is $15,000. So let's- That's what let's, we'd use. And if they paid 15,000, we, we have something to document, we'd use 15,000 in that. All right, house. so three, we'll call it, we'll just do- Say 300. Yeah. For the improvement. Well, let's, let's do it exactly as we can. So let's say three three twenty two is a purchase price, okay. right? Mm-hmm. And and because we're we want to be you know as specific, a little bit of variance can make a big difference in the grand scheme of things. So three twenty two um, minus fifteen thousand, mm-hmm. and that's that's three oh seven. Three oh seven, yeah. Okay, so that's that's the improvement value. And so you would you, what would you expect your study to come in a, as an estimate? On this. Estimate probably seventy thousand. So it's twenty five percent of that would be seventy five thousand. So I, I'd use seventy to be conservative, and I'm hoping we come back at closer to ninety when when we do the final study. But let's, let's use even seventy thousand um, of, of accelerated depreciation, that, and you're going to take eighty percent of that. So that's fifty six thousand you're going to get this year. And if you take seventy from three hundred, you've got two thirty left. So you're getting. Uh, 230, about about 27.5. You're still getting 8,300, roughly $8,400 a year in your normal 27 and a half year depreciation going forward. Yeah, that's that's important for people to realize is just like how powerful normal depreciation is. Like yeah. eight, and just in that scenario, like if, if you just took 322 
and divided by 27.5. Well, I guess I, I did that incorrectly because I needed to do not the, I needed to do three, 307. Yeah, so you're you're lowering your yearly depreciation by about three thousand dollars to save fifty six thousand yeah. dollars this year. From eleven to about eighty four. Yeah, you normally get about eleven thousand, then you're getting eighty four thousand, eighty four hundred. But, but just yeah, but, so eleven thousand dollars depreciation per year. That's huge, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's pretty dramatic. Like depreciation is a big big deal here. Um, and mm-hmm. for someone who hasn't calculated that out, like the first time I saw, like, oh, this is this is a loss I'm taking every single year. But okay, so in this case, seventy thousand dollars. You take eighty percent of that. You said, which was fifty-six thousand. Uh, I'm I'm trusting your math here, Steve. So fifty-six thousand dollars of a loss year one. That means if you made fifty-six, if you bought this one property, you still get the rest in the normal depreciation schedule. But you could take a if you bought this property this year and rented it out, you could take fifty-six thousand dollars in accelerated losses against against your active income. Let's assume you're in the 37% tax bracket. Let's assume you live in a state that doesn't have any state income tax. If you do have state income tax and you factor that in, but $56,000, um, you know, let's assume you're at 37% tax bracket. That's an actual tax savings that you would otherwise pay of over $20,000. Am I doing my math right here? Roughly. Mm-hmm. So that means that you can either, like, by doing accelerated depreciation and a cost like study by buying this property, you have an actual tangible year one tax savings of over $20,000 that could be an additional down payment on another house, which it should be. And now you're actually, instead of giving it to Uncle Sam, actually earning a return on that investment and buying another investment that then has another uh, taxable benefit to it, right? I mean, is this how this is how people build wealth and this compounds really quickly is by paying less taxes, investing that money and you know, building more taxable um, losses here, acquiring more taxable losses that compounds time and time again. But Adam, what was the down payment on this property? I just want to put this in. Uh, it was right around 80. Okay. So you reduce it. That's, but that's if you're putting 25%. Yeah. Down, we had, right? Yeah. We have everything at 25% now. So, so let's just assume 322 at 0.2, 20%, that's $64,000. You can reduce, like you basically, if you ran an accelerated depreciation, you, if you bought this house with 65K out of pocket using 20% down, you almost get 30% of that back immediately, like year one, if you did accelerated depreciation, mm-hmm. um, just, just from, from doing that. Right. But that's, this is, this is big stuff to think about. And I mean, for stuff we're personally doing. Yeah. It comes down to each individual situation. I mean, that's why we like to get the CPA involved so they can take a look at their tax planning and you know, what their income looks like. If they're under the 150, where they could take 25 towards their uh, ordinary income as well, or if they own multiple properties and they can qualify as a real estate professional, that, that they can use it against all of it against their W-2 income, which is huge. Just clarify for me. I know you mentioned this. I probably missed it, though. So if someone bought a house last year in 2022 or 2021 when bonus depreciation was still at 100 percent, this year it's at 80. If they do the study this year, are they taking it at 80 percent or is it? If they bought it in 2022, they're taking it at 100% because it's the date it goes into service. And if they haven't filed their 22 taxes and they're on extension like I am, uh, like I always am, I do it every year on extension, <laughs> I, I, you have until October 15th. As long as the study's done prior to October 15th, you're, you're able to uh, t- take it for 2022. Is there a limit to how far back you can go? I mean, I know in the terms of the bonus, it's 2017, but, you know, is there a limit to when you can actually bring your 
study in. I mean, if you've had something for 10, 11 years, like. Yeah, there, there's sort of a measure. If you've had it 15 plus years, it may or may not make sense because you've already taken, you know, basically over half your depreciation on a 27 minute year and you're not quite there on a 39 year. But so it just depends. That's where the estimate really comes into play. Could we take into account what you've taken from your depreciation schedule, see what's remaining and how much can we bring forward? And then does that make sense based on the cost of the study? So by and large, if you've had a 15 years plus, it may or may not make sense to do it. And so in my mind, it's kind of like, why would you not get an estimate at least to know what your yeah. options are? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's where it starts. Yes. And then you can work with your CPA to see what like the impact would be. But yeah, mm -hmm. if you have, if you own property, and you have taxable income on those on those properties. Maybe it, this might be something to to consider to consider doing. Um, and if I understand it correctly, on like a, with a lot of like the commercial assets or these larger assets, like there is a specific study with the you're actually walking the property for each one of those. Um, but sometimes on like the sub five hundred thousand dollars single family, I, I believe Steve, it's just where you you kind of take some data gathered from the sale. Like you're not actually walking the property. Is that is that accurate? Like you want right. to do that? We do that through an empirical modeling uh, program. We take all the thousands of cost segregations that have been done over the years. We model that property against that. And it's defendable before the IRS to be able to defend that. Uh, that's the basis we use to come up with the accelerated components of the, the property. Have you ever had to defend one of these to the IRS? I haven't uh, in my my time in the business. I haven't had one yet, uh, and a lot of people think that this is some sort of a gimmick that causes the IRS. It's a red flag where they they flag your return and they want to audit you. It, it's it's it, as long as you follow the IRS guideline, guidelines, there, there's it's it's no different than any other tax strategy that you use because it, it's allowed by the IRS to use this on your real, real on your properties that you own. So there, there's I haven't had one, but uh, the engineers that I work with, they've had some and never never had anything, any issues. If you do it right, there's not any issues. If you try to take a piece of property and say it's 60 percent of it's coming forward this year, I think you're in for some trouble. But as long as you're doing it proper and doing it right, that's why it's important that you do an engineered study and, and, and not just try to do that yourself. And I guess people could. And I've heard of people doing that where they just go take and divide the property up the way they want to divide it up. And I think you're asking for trouble if you do that. So when you're talking about, you know, not doing it yourself, how do you know if you have somebody who's a legitimate person? I mean, obviously you've been doing this, but, you know, let's say I got a cost seg study done a year, two years ago, whenever it was. And now I start to wonder, was it done? Maybe they came back at 50%. And now I start to wonder, was that wrong? You know, is something wrong there? How do you vet out, um, cost seg people references is what i do I, I, I furnish all the references anyone wants to have to talk to the talk to people that i've done studies for uh and i, and I think and if someone honestly came back at 50 percent, that would be suspect to me um i'd, I'd want to actually see some of their studies and talk to some of their clients and, and about what they've done over the past how long they've been in business things of that nature steve anything else we need to know about cost segregation we know that the, the legislation is changing. Um, this is something that could be applicable to anyone, regardless if you're a real estate professional or not, just knowing like what it is and, and how to use it and seeing if it factors into your to your investment strategy and plan. And uh, hopefully at this point, if anyone's been following us by now for even a short period of time, they understand that we're very passionate about 
educating people on the tax benefits, right, of real estate, because that is one of the biggest benefits of investing in real estate that no other asset class has. Um, That's why I invest in real estate. It's one of the best investments out there for the tax purposes and the cash flow, the appreciation, all the things that we know. The real estate's even in this market is still, I think, one of the best investments to be involved in. The main thing, probably for your your list of clients that have purchased in the past, anyone that has bought since 2000, anyway, in the last 10 years, they really should explore this because there's bonus depreciation. There's also the person that's owned it for, for 10, 12 years that, that they're going to catch up most of their appreciation even without bonus. So they should take a look at their portfolio and get an estimate on what you have and see if it makes sense for you. Yeah. I mean, if you look at this and, and just it's, it's extremely clear to me, and I know that when I first kind of learned about this years ago, it was like, it was a game changer. It was an eye opener for me of, of just seeing how the wealthy build wealth in, in real estate and then compound that over year after year. And uh, it's, it's really a combination of taking full advantage of the tax benefits and applying these things. This like doing a cost segregation study in combination with 1031 just perpetually, you know, is a way to pretty much reinvest your capital. Even if you do sell the property and have to pay taxes at some point in time in the future, you would have had all this time of investing money and earning and, and acquiring more assets and acquiring more tax benefits and earning income on it and reinvesting those and compounding that you would have had all that time versus just paying money to, to uncle Sam that you never see back. Right. Yeah, time value of money makes sense. And that's what cost segregation does for you. You're able to take that cash today that you normally send out to Washington and, and, and uh, or wherever you send it to. And then, and you would be able to use the money today. Like you mentioned, uh, 20, 30, 20,000 or so that you could use towards a down payment on a new, on another property. And it's not like I'm anti-government. I don't want to be paying taxes here. Right. Like I, I feel that the taxes <laughs> are necessary and important and they have their place, but understand that the IRS people, they put these things in place, um, because they want to incentivize economic development, right? Like as real estate investors, we are providing a necessity for people, housing and business opportunities or whatever the, what you're depending on the asset class that you're investing in. Like we are adding economic value and adding value to society in general. And we're incentivized to do that right. um, through the IRS tax code. And so that's the way you really should look at this. Um, is this is your right and a benefit to you investing in an asset class that betters our society. Yeah, um, sure. And so I, I think that's just important to think of. This isn't about like, oh, we're a bunch of, you know, snobby real estate investors to see how we can not not pay taxes and scapegoat the rules. This is this is working within the rules and just being an educated investor, but also creating businesses and wealth through that. So I just wanted to end with that. Yeah, yep. it makes sense. And someday we'll have a rental retirement event where anybody who hasn't paid taxes because of real estate can get together and just uh, chuckle together and talk, <laughs> tell, tell tax stories of how conspire against the, yes, the government. Uh, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. All right. Well, Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it. If you want to contact Steve, head over to Rent to Retirement and you will see uh, the Meet the Team page. Steve is on there. As Zach said, he uses him for his stuff. So, you know, you can get a hold of Steve right through the rentretirement.com website. Just go to the uh, Meet the Team page. Uh, if you have any uh, interest in knowing what markets to invest in in 2023 and would like a copy of Zach's report, email over to podcast at rentretirement.com and ask for the top 20 markets to invest in in 2023, and we will get that sent over to you. 
please leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you use so other people can see that our show is something that is helping you in your real estate journey. Appreciate the time you're spending educating yourself on your real estate journey. And we'll talk to you on the next episode.